Hey, if you got your Bible with you, go ahead and open them to Daniel chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these probably on the back table. You're welcome to grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, take this one with you. It's page 615 in these Bibles. If you got your own Bible, I can't really help you with a page number, but it's somewhere right of the middle in the Old Testament. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love the Olympics. In fact, today's going to be a little bit of a letdown for me as they end. I am a huge track and field fan, and people only pay attention to it every four years. And so uh, it's sad that it's going to be, well, three years now before I get to see any more track and field on television. Um, but I also love uh, about the Olympics, those sports that nobody ever pays attention to, like fencing. And I watched the water polo final like three times yesterday, which was incredible. But the thing I love most about the Olympics, and maybe you do too, are the stories, right? The stories of the people, the stories of the athletes that are there. Maybe you caught last week what's being called the best 10 minutes in Italian track and field history when uh, Gianmarco Tamberi won, or at least tied for the gold in the high jump. And then within the next 10 minutes, he ran uh, to watch and greet his friend and countryman, Lamont Marcel Jacobs, who won, unexpectedly won the men's 100 meter dash. And the two embraced. If you watched it on NBC, you probably didn't understand what was happening. Who is this weird guy with the man bun that's hugging the 100 meter champion? Uh, he is also an Italian athlete that won the high jump. And so it was really cool to see that. But these kind of stories really only happen in the Olympics. They only happen on the world's largest stage. You get those uh, athletes that are expected to do really well and somehow flop, at least don't meet our expectations. And then you get those stories of those athletes that nobody has any expectations for and they rise to the occasion and win the gold medal. And that only happens because we all respond differently when the world is watching, don't we? Everybody has a different way of responding when everyone's watching. Well, we've been uh, reading through the Bible this year, and we're kind of taking a pause here, not in our reading plan at all, but we're taking a pause to spend some time in Daniel. Last week, we introduced the story of Daniel. We're going to spend four weeks in Daniel, but last week, we talked about uh, the backdrop for Daniel. The people of Israel had turned their backs on God. And for those reasons, God allowed the Babylonian Empire to come down and invade Jerusalem and destroy it. This was around 605 BC. But instead of killing all of the people in Jerusalem, uh, the king decided to take some men hostage. He took some young men who were good-looking, strong, and intelligent. He took them into uh, his keep, brought them into his palace, and taught them the ways of the Babylonians. He thought, we have to teach these men how to live like a Babylonian. Uh, so there was this uh, re-education process, maybe. You might call it brainwashing. Uh, we need to get these guys thinking like, living like Babylonians. And Babylon was an evil place. Right, we talked about this last week. It was known for idol worship. It was known for its rejection of anything having to do with God. And so Babylon was a real place, but it was so notorious for its evil that even after Babylon fell to the Persians, the name Babylon became to, came to symbolically represent any evil system whose goal was to undermine the work of God in the world. It's why in the New Testaments, uh, the disciples referred to Rome as an evil Babylon. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John uses uh, Babylon to describe a world system where it was designed to reject and oppose God and his people. And so Babylon represents this evil spiritual reality where war is constantly waged against God and his people. And this is not new. This has been happening at least since 605 BC. We see it in scripture. It's been operating this way for a really, really long time. But I think the tension is real and it's increasing. 
And we said this last week, but the reality for those of us who are followers of Jesus is this. We are living in Babylon. We live in a place that is opposed to God. And I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about the world as it is, this, this whole culture. There's this invisible force that's active in the world right now that's attempting to undermine and oppose anything that comes from the one true God. It's a, an evil that wants to cripple the church and make followers of Jesus irrelevant. But there's good news. The good news is our God is greater than that. You know, the victory has already been won. Victory was won when Jesus went to the cross and died and then God raised him up from the dead to show that he can overcome even death, right? And the bad news is that the battles, for now at least, the battles continue. And so one day, those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior will live together in heaven with him and there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more mourning and no more sorrow, no more tears. But that's one day. But for now, we live in Babylon. And we, why can't we just go there now? Do you ever wonder that? Like, why can't we just, like, you ever have a really bad day and think, I'm so ready for heaven. Like, I'm so ready to go now. Why can't we just go now? Why do we have to stay here? Well, I have news for you. God hasn't left you here just to survive. Like, you just got to run out the clock until it's time for you to go home. No, we're here to shine. We are here to bring the light of Jesus to this really dark world. And uh, we want to make it our goal to live with faith and courage for God in this world. And so today, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about courageous faith and what it looks like when you face something that challenges your faith and challenges your convictions. How do we respond? How do you find the strength to trust God uh, when you're asked to compromise your convictions at work or school or somewhere else? And how do we live for Christ in Babylon? Well, Daniel 3 uh, starts with the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who has constructed this 90-foot-tall statue, this idol made out of gold. Now, I found this really ironic because if you're reading Daniel with us or if you were here last week, you remember that the king had a dream about this big statue and that the statue was destroyed and that represented his kingdom being destroyed. And so what does he do in response? You think he would learn, right? But he doesn't. He builds a 90 foot tall by nine feet wide idol. And he's so proud of his new statue that he sends out a bunch of invitations and he buys a cake and he invites all of the kingdom of Babylon to come to this dedication service. Now, this was a huge crowd. Uh, many scholars think it represented hundreds of thousands or maybe even a million people in Babylon. Now, why did all those people come to the king's dedication? Well, I already told you there was cake. And so uh, anybody who works in an office know the only way to get everybody to drop what they're doing and come together is to buy a cake, right? You bring it into the office, everybody comes. Uh, even if you don't like the guy, you're going to his birthday parties, you can get a piece of that cake. Uh, there's this huge dedication service, but it's no ordinary celebration, when the day arrived, everybody found their place. Uh, the MC came on the mic and gave them some unexpected instruction. We're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. It says this, Then the herald proclaimed loudly, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, they had a worship band too, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, talk about an ego. Uh, this guy builds this statue, and he thinks it's so great that he orders everyone in the kingdom, when the music starts, you're going to bow down and worship this statue. Can you imagine the hubris, the, the arrogance that's involved in this, that if you don't worship 
at the feet of this thing that the king has built, you will be destroyed. But we shouldn't be surprised. Now remember, this is the very place in Babylon. We talked about this last week in Genesis chapter 11. This was the same place where the people built the Tower of Babel uh, to try to uh, undermine the work of God. This, that represented the worst of human pride and ultimately a flat-out rejection of God. And so here we go again, right, with the Babylonian king and his statue. Daniel 3, 7 says this, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the people here, you just picture this thing. There's this huge statue. There's hundreds of thousands or millions of people uh, standing around, and the music starts, and everybody bows down except somewhere in the distance... There's three men that remain standing. And there are men we met in chapter 1 and 2. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their names. They're three of the young Jewish men who were brought into the king's service, these uh, strong, intelligent men. Uh, and they're just standing there awkwardly, like twiddling their thumbs and kind of looking around. And uh, why is everybody else bowing to this thing? They're basically doing anything they can except not bowing. Now, maybe you found yourself in a similar situation. Maybe for you it looks like a conversation at work that suddenly turns inappropriate or turns to gossip and you're standing kind of awkwardly in a corner not knowing what to do or how to respond. Uh, maybe you're at a party with a bunch of college friends and it starts getting inappropriate or awkward and you wonder, like, how am I supposed to respond in this moment? Or maybe you're in a group chat with a bunch of friends and one of them sends you uh, a piece of porn or something else that's inappropriate. You're, you're in this moment and everybody is bowing down what do you do? How will you respond when everyone is watching? Well, there were some men in Nebuchadnezzar's administration that had it out for the Jews. Uh, they were looking out over the crowd. They noticed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and have not bowed down, and they're going to make sure that the king knows it. They want Nebuchadnezzar to see this too. So they go to the king and they say this, Daniel 3.12, but there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar likes these guys, but their lack of obedience infuriates him. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you, to rescue you from my hand? What God indeed. The king's not happy, but he likes these men enough that he decides to give them a second chance. He thinks maybe they didn't hear the instructions correctly. Uh, maybe they weren't paying attention when uh, he gave them the order to bow. And so he says, hey, uh, I'm going to give you a second chance. The next time the music starts, bow down or die. Now, if you're in this situation, you have some choices to make, right? Uh, you could try to rationalize. Hey, guys, listen, come here, come here. We could bow down and not mean it, right? We could do that. We could pretend to tie our shoe in that moment, you know, when that's happening, and then we're not standing out like a sore thumb, uh, 
We could bow for a couple of weeks, and then when this whole thing blows over, we can stop. We can still stick to what we believe. Let's not make this a bigger deal than it has to be. But not these guys. They're not willing to compromise. This has gone too far. They reach back to Exodus chapter 20 where God said, you should have no other gods before me, and they won't bow. They're not going to give in, even under pressure, even for a moment when everyone is watching. So here's what happens. Verse 16. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's a really key phrase. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Oh. Man, there's so much you can take away from that last sentence there. There's so much that we could talk about here. We just don't have time to break that down and talk about the image of gold that people set up in our society. But I love what Pastor J.D. Greer says. He reminds us that it wasn't their faith in God that caused a problem for the Babylonians. They, they were allowed to have faith in God. It was their refusal to compromise their faith that caused a problem for Nebuchadnezzar and his authority and his influence. I mean, think about how that might apply today. Here, here's what it might look like for us today as followers of Jesus. You can call yourself a Christian. Okay, you can go to church in present-day Babylon, but when your faith starts rubbing up against culture, that's where the problems really start. When what you believe starts interfering with the trends and the way the world is going, that's going to be a problem, right? That's where the problems arise. So how, that's where the how dare you's start. <laughs> how dare you stand up for your convictions? How dare you question our new policy? How dare you embrace a different opinion about sexuality or marriage or gender? How dare you question our new school curriculum? How dare you impose your beliefs about the unborn on me? How dare you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How dare you, how dare you, how dare you bring your biblical worldview into this conversation? You can go to church, okay? You can sing your songs there, but don't bring that in here. Right, you're not allowed to influence culture. You see it, right? It's happening all around us. We used to live in a country where we could respectfully agree to disagree with one another. I don't see that happening anymore. And it's not, it's, it's non-Christians that are causing the problem, but friends, followers of Jesus, we can't act like the rest of the world and expect the problems to go away. I see a lot of Christians who are really passionate about what they believe, which is good, but reckless in the way they carry it out, which is bad. I mean, if, if you want to change the school, don't cuss out the superintendent, right? If you, if you want to change the library, don't yell down the librarian in a public meeting. There are better ways to do this. There's a lot of I need to speak to a manager energy happening in the Christian circles, I think. And so, so here's an idea. You want to have an influence in your schools? Go serve in the schools, like, become a lunch mom, become a field trip dad, go do something in the schools where you're able to build a relationship. Get in the classroom once a month, once a quarter, however often you can do it, um, and, and have an influence in that way. Build that relationship so that when you have something to say, the person on the other end of the conversation knows your heart and knows you mean well. I want to remind you, followers of Jesus, we are called to a higher standard of living than the people of this world. We can't expect people who aren't followers of Jesus to rise up to the standard that Jesus calls us to. But when everyone else is bowing and complying, still, we can't. Like, you can't. 
You can't comply. You can't bow down. So what are we going to do in those moments? Will you stand up? Will you speak up or will you bow down? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow. And that's not going to sit well with the most powerful man in the world. Here's what happens. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Remember, he used to like them. Now he doesn't feel that way so much anymore. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It looks like the end for our heroes. But then something happens. The king is obviously a little bit reluctant about his uh, decree to throw them into the furnace because he keeps looking back at the fire. And he sees something happening in here. And what he sees is he sees them walking around inside the fire. Now, remember, this fire is so hot that it just burned up some of his best soldiers. And here are these young men, teenagers probably, who are walking around in the fire. Can you imagine the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face? His buddies are all high-fiving him, uh, telling him what a good job he did, stroking his ego, ego. But then these men are walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And Nebuchadnezzar can't believe what he's seeing. Here's what he does, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. What? Remember what God will be able to save you? Now look at Nebuchadnezzar's tune now. Servants of the Most High God. He says, servants of the Most High God, come out. Now, those of you who know me know I can be a bit of a smart aleck sometimes. And so if I'm in this situation, if I'm one of those three guys in the fire, I might say, uh, no, king, why don't you come down here? <laughs> if you want to talk, let's talk. Come out. Uh, he says, come out. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and royal advisors, all of the king's men crowded around them. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, what they were witnessing, right? They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair of, on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. You know how anybody who barbecues know how hard this is. The king's men were unhinged, but God's men were unsinged. Now, you and I are going to walk through some tough times, right? There's so much going on in our culture. We've already talked about it. You've got challenges at work, at school, work and school. You've got pressures being applied by the government, by our workplaces, all the difficulties with the COVID-19 pandemic and who to believe and who to listen to and what to do, what's right. You know, there are some things in this story that I think we see that might better equip us and prepare us for those moments when we have to choose to have courageous faith. And so I just wanted to share a couple of those with you today as we're living for Jesus in Babylon, what we can, what we can do as Christians. Well, first of all is this. We can expect to have opposition. We don't live in heaven. We live in Babylon. <laughs> That's why the scriptures describe followers of Jesus as foreigners and strangers. Like we may be in this world, but we're not of this world. And because God has us here, though. We've got to do more than just survive. As I said, we've got to shine. We're supposed to model Jesus uh, for people. We're supposed to live for him and model him for others to see. And so you're going to be challenged. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. It'll happen at school. 
Uh, maybe if you're going to college, you'll have a professor that ridicules you for your beliefs. Maybe you and your spouse have chosen counseling over divorce and your friends think you're crazy. How could you stay with him? Why would, why would you stay with her after what she's done to you? You may lose some friends over your beliefs. You may lose your job over your beliefs. Don't forget, trials and opposition don't mean that you're headed in the wrong direction. Jesus told us to expect tough times. Jesus himself suffered. So why should we expect to avoid it? The Apostle Paul says this about trials and suffering. In fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if we expect opposition, we probably ought to prepare for opposition. And that's why prayer is so incredibly important. That's why having a church family and being in something like a connection group is important. That's why reading your Bible better to understand God's will for your life is so important. It's also why the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that we need to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Every day is another battle. So we need to expect opposition and prepare. And when it happens, we need to remain calm. Remain calm. What's interesting about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they didn't go pick a fight. You know, when they were in a bind and everyone was watching, what did they do? They decided to take a stand, but they remained calm. They didn't go on social media with unhelpful rants. They didn't go name-calling or making accusations. They remained calm and they spoke directly to the source. They talked right to the king. They said, king, we won't bow down for you. Sorry, but our, our God will save us. As you expect and prepare for opposition, I want to encourage you to take every opportunity to handle things calmly and directly. If you have a problem with someone, go to that person directly. Ask for a meeting with the teacher or the principal. Have a conversation with your boss. Assume, assume that most people are doing their best. I think this is one of the biggest problems with the conflict that we have in our culture now is we assume everyone else has a different opinion. If they, if they believe this about that, well, then they must believe this and this and this and this. And if they believe all those things, they must be this kind of person. And if they're this kind of person, I don't want to talk to them. That's not necessarily true. Some of us have beliefs because, oh, this is what we've experienced in our lives. You know, so I believe that. Assume that most people want to do their best. And then talk to your neighbor directly. Don't go to the next door app. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't post a thinly veiled slight on Facebook. You know, go humbly and directly to the source. Knock on their door. <laughs> to the neighbor who's putting your trash cans out way too early. No, go knock on the door. The best way to have a say is to build a relationship before you need to. And so that way, when it's time to have those hard conversations, they'll know you mean well. And also, um, make sure you've spent time on your knees praying before you go bring up a conflict with a person. Hey, how about this? Before you respond to someone, before you text or call or fly off the handle, pray for them. Pray about wisdom. Pray, pray what God wants out of the conversation. Talk to God about someone before you go talk to someone. Or talk to God about someone before you talk to someone about someone else. How about that? You know, pray about how you can best show the love of Jesus to the person who has hurt you or slighted you. So we get expect opposition, remain calm. But while you're remaining calm, just know you need to be bold too. These teenage men had an audience with the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world. And he mocked their belief in God in front of this enormous crowd of witnesses. And while they stayed calm, they spoke boldly about what they believed. When everyone is watching you, what will you do? How will you respond? 
How will you speak about your faith? What will you share about Jesus and how he's impacting your life? Be bold. Don't be afraid. You're talking about the God of the universe here. Now, there is a difference between being bold and being arrogant. All right, here's, here's what I know about most Christians. Most of my friends are really good at admitting they were wrong when they find out they're wrong. Right? If we get caught in sin, if they hurt somebody's feeling, they're quick to apologize, they're quick to repent. Um, if, if they find out they're wrong definitively, they admit they're wrong. Most people I know are like that. But most of us aren't as quick to admit we might be wrong in the moment. When we have an opinion, we're convinced that our opinion is right. And all of our opinions are equally valid, no matter how in, in, informed they are. And all of our opinions are spoken generally, for most of us, equally loud. And no matter how little we know about those things. Uh, friends, that's not the way of Jesus. We have to come at every topic with the idea that we might be wrong about this. And if we're wrong, if, if somebody who's coming at us was wrong, how would we want them to respond? You know, Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul also reminded us that if we're going to boast, we should only boast about the cross and of Christ crucified. So we've got to expect opposition. We've got to remain calm. We've got to be bold. And no matter what you go through, know that you can trust God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't plead, give us another chance. There was no have mercy on us. There was no hint at compromise. They simply trusted that God was going to lead them through the fire. And so many of you are in a fire of your own right now. You've got anxiety about school or work, uh, what to do for a career. Some of you are in an unhealthy relationship that needs to end. And some of you are in a marriage that needs a lot of work. You've got to invest in it. You've got an addiction or a habit. You're praying about being a parent or fostering or adopting, but you're scared to death. If you've been praying and you sense that God is leading you somewhere, follow him. Take that next step. Be faithful. You can trust him with anything. You can trust him with anything. And when God provides, when down the road you're saved from the fire, make sure you give him the credit. Make sure you give God all the glory. Worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave God the glory. And because of their boldness and the way that God delivered them from the, fray, the, the flames, what we see is that King Nebuchadnezzar gives God the glory too, right? Servants of the Most High God, he calls them. Now, I said, when you are saved from the fire, give God the glory. But what if, what if you're not? What if you're not saved from the fire? What if things don't go the way you want? What if you're bold and courageous and humble and things still get worse? What if you're going through the fire right now and you're barely hanging on? What then? Well, I love this quote from Pastor Stephen Furtick. He says this, and we see this in the story. I believe God can, expect that he will, but trust him if he doesn't. Let's break this down for a minute. I believe God can. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe. They even said it this way in 317, Daniel 317. He says, if we are thrown into the blazing fire furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Your God created the universe with a breath. Your God is able to heal the sick and feed the destitute and raise the dead. 
No matter what you face, God is greater. He's greater than the cancer. He's greater than COVID. He's greater than your financial worries and fears. He's greater than your sin, and he's greater than your shame. He's greater than all of your anxiety and all of your fear. And because he loves you, you can believe he can, and you can expect that he will. Expect that he will. What's wrong with coming before God with a great expectation that he's going to heal you, that he's going to fix the situation, that he's going to cure it. You, you know, so here's what I know about some of you. You pray boldly and expectantly for your friends to be healed and your friends to be rescued. But when you pray about your own stuff, you do it about halfway. Am I wrong? Like we expect and we tell our friends, I expect that God is going to heal you. I expect that God's going to cure you. I expect God's going to remedy this situation. And then we pray about our stuff. It's like, well, I know God can, but I don't know. I don't know if he really likes me that much. I don't know if he wants to. <laughs> friends, you believe God can, but you don't really expect he will, at least not for you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said this. He said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's expectant, right? How did they know that God would deliver them? They didn't. As far as we know, there's no information that they had that said, don't worry, guys, I got you. They didn't hear an audible voice from God, as far as we know, right? But they believed, they expected, they knew enough about the character of God who created them and loved them and was their loving father. He was crazy about them and he's crazy about you. So why would he not want the best for you? But look at what they say in verse 318. And this is key to living this way. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we won't serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up even if he does not. See, they had experienced the power of God at work in their lives. So why not now? Why not hold out hope that he would deliver and in some way, somehow, but they'd rather have died in the flames than bow down to this false God. I believe God can, expect that he will, but trust him even if he doesn't. You know, for us, when we're walking through the fire, that's more than anything else when we need to learn to lean on the promises of God. That's why we're reading through the Bible this year, by the way. You know where you can find the promises of God, right? In here. And if you don't ever open this ancient relic, for some of you, if you don't ever open this book, you never get to see what God has promised his people. And you never get to hear God's heart for his people. You never get to see and feel like what God wants us to experience in our lives. But when you open this up and you read through it together and you read through it in community, you get to experience the promises of God. So if you've not been reading along with us in this uh, planted series this year, we're getting ready to start the New Testament. It's just a couple of weeks, we're gonna start the New Testament. It's a great time to start. We've got a reading plan at the Info Hub. There's a reading plan on the Genesis Church website, genesischurch.me. Um, or you can download the Read Scripture app and you can start today. Don't go back and try to read the Old Testament before we start. Just let's, let's do this together. Let's learn the promises of God together. You will go through tough times and you may be in one right now. But can I remind you of something? If you're in the fire right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is walking through that fire with you. you know, Jesus was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He will be there with you too. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait, I, I didn't see Jesus in that story. 
That's the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't come around till Matthew, right? So what are you doing talking about Jesus in this Old Testament story? Well, I skipped a couple of verses in there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire. Let's go back and look at them now. Daniel 3.24 says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, uh, this is when he saw them walking around in there, right? Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? Hey guys, how many people did you throw in there? <laughs> three. Certainly, your majesty, there were three. Look, King said, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, many biblical scholars believe that that fourth man in the fire is none other than Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the one who endured the cross many years later, was present with these teens in one of the most terrifying moments of their life. If you've put your trust in Christ, you can have confidence that Jesus is there with you too. He'll walk through this school year with you. He'll go through the cancer with you. He can lead your family through COVID. He can lead our church through this pandemic. He has everything that we need. He has the answers. He has the peace that we're looking for. If you're not a Christian, I can promise you that he's near. And he is just waiting for you to find your way back to him. You know, Jesus gave his life for you. And maybe one of the most courageous steps you can take is to give your life back to him, to, to be baptized, to fully surrender your life to him. Uh, we're, we're having our next baptism service coming up on August the 29th. Uh, we're doing it during a family service. We'll do it at both campuses. I know that we've got a lot of uh, kids and students at, from Spring Hill and Mix and Move who've made uh, first-time commitments or recommitments to Christ that have never been baptized. Uh, I want you guys to sign up. We've got a class coming up on August 22nd. But this is not just for kids and students. This is for adults too. If you're a, an adult that's made that commitment to make Jesus the center of your life, but you've never made that public profession of your faith through baptism, whether you did that a month ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, I want you to sign up. Come to our baptism class on the 22nd and hear what God has to say about baptism in scripture. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they experienced baptism by fire. We just have a nice warm tub. <laughs> But it might be the biggest step of courage you've ever taken to stand up in front of your church family and your friends and your actual family and say, this is how I want to live now. I want to live my life for Jesus, that Jesus lived his life. He died his death for me, and I want to live my life for him. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Friends, I got to tell you, I was a, not a Christian for a long time before I became a Christian, and there is no comparison there is no other life worth living. Let's pray together. God, in, uh, in these really difficult times and really tough situations that we find ourselves in sometimes these days, it's hard <laughs> to walk through life with courage and confidence and knowing that you have our back and that you are walking with us uh, it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be scared about what it means to maybe even be a minority living in this country, being uh, a follower of Jesus and, and not being in with the culture. We watch commercials on television now. We watch the movies that are coming out. We, we listen to music and we go, this is, not, this is not what I signed up for. And it's easy to get a little anxious and to be a little bit afraid, but your word reminds us that we don't have to do that. We can be bold. We can be bold, but be humble. 
And we can trust that you're with us no matter what. Lord, we know that we don't have to be afraid, but we need your presence. (laughs) We need audible and visible and tactile reminders that you are with us. We know that for those of us who are in Christ, you've sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to, to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us. Lord, would you remind us again this week of who we are, that we are who you say we are, and that we can be bold in our convictions and have courageous faith, but we can do it in a way that brings glory and honor to you. We want to be those people. We want to live like Jesus. We want to bring his light into this world, and we want to honor him and give you all the glory when that happens. And so help us as your children, as your followers, to live a life like that. We thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.